Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast, sponsored by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Supply chain disruptions caused by the pandemic, shipping backlogs, and several natural disasters have led to parts scarcity and shortages for manufacturers and producers across the board. Now farmers and ranchers are facing increased costs and longer wait times for the same products that they've just been able to go to the store and get. Today, we're joined by Brett Julian, Director of Forage Sales and Channel Development at Vermeer Corporation, to tell us how they're managing supply chains and to offer up suggestions as to what farmers out there can do to manage through these disruptions. Welcome, Brett. What's your background in hay and forage? How long have you been with Vermeer? So, grew up a farm kid in in uh, central Indiana of all places, and um, ended up, long story short, going to college uh, at Iowa State for an ag degree. Then I spent a dozen dozen or so years in the animal health business. Actually, started there, calling on livestock producers, veterinarians, and such. So, really got to understand the ag business side of things through that lens. I came to Vermeer in 2020. And uh, I did take a little bit of time off to go do some other ventures. So all told, I've been at Vermeer about 15 years. About two years ago, the world basically came to a stop. We know that there were pandemic shutdowns, and those have continued, I mean, throughout the various waves of COVID. We know that there were disruptions in manufacturing all across the world and all across the U.S. and in forage supply chains. So... Take us back a year or so. When did Vermeer first begin to experience some of these disruptions? And what was the initial response? It's probably good to go back in in March of 2020 when it all started. I remember exactly where I was. I was in Oklahoma City. Everybody was racing to to the microphones to cancel this and that. And nobody really knew what was going on at that moment in time, quite honestly. But it was obviously a huge thing, a big disruption. And everybody's just kind of looking at each other, trying to figure out what the truth was. And none of us really, you know, that in my age group, ever been through a pandemic before. Mm-hmm. And so obviously we've been through 9-11. That was a huge uh, tragedy for sure and disruption and never, never a pandemic and really didn't even know, you know, how long that was going to last and so on and so forth. We've, that's a whole nother podcast, I think, at that point in time. Mm-hmm. But what was really, really interesting was our business on the hay and forage equipment side of things never stopped. It never really slowed down. We can go back and look at May and say May that year was a little bit soft. But other than that, it was up and to the right. It kept accelerating from the previous year, which mm. was really in- interesting and counter counterintuitive, not counterproductive, but counterintuitive. You would not have thought that, you know, a normal person out in the field thinking, yeah. well, I just think everybody's going to stop doing that yeah. and or won't buy anything and stop and wait to see what's going on. And it did not happen. That was going on simultaneously why there were quite a few companies that basically said, we're going to slow down or our people stopped coming in. And and we actually had some labor issues, too, in our own factories, people that were concerned uh, or were sick. And then the the quarantine times and so on and so forth were really long Mm -hmm. and very broad at that particular point in time because people just didn't know. And so that caused a little bit of disruption there. But as far as the the demand side of things, it never stopped for us. So that's, I'll, I'll preface it with that. And so when we're going hard and trying to satisfy customers' needs and our dealers' needs, and then the rest of the supply chain is getting intermittent and they're stopping and starting and stopping and starting and slowing down because of all the things that I just mentioned, 
it really didn't start showing up to us in our forage division with any sort of like, wow, that hurts a little bit. We really didn't start seeing that until probably of August this last year, August of 21. And so we really got through last hay season really well and actually built more product than we did the previous year and got along fine. There was a few disruptions, but come August of 2021, it really started uh, in earnest where we saw more and more and more disruptions in the supply chain. We've been able to overcome them, but it really started to answer your initial question, make a short question long. It really started getting going here in in this uh, late summer, early fall. What was your initial message to your dealers? Oh, we had a lot of them. And and again, go back to the beginning where everybody was wondering, what are you going to do, Vermeer? Just as many dealers and and end users that that we deal with, there was opinions on what we should do and what we shouldn't do and so on and so forth. So our communication to our dealers, at least initially, going back to that early time period was we're staying the course, um, orders on the books, we're doing everything we can to fulfill that, and we basically were able to do that. And then how did that change? It really didn't. We started to see some some shortages from some competitors and other people that we compete with in the marketplace. And that started to tell you sooner or later, it's going to hit you. Um, nobody's going to get away from it free. But we just kept building. And we started to get a little bit of disruption. When I say disruption, I'm talking about if you were to get something today, maybe two weeks from now for, before you'll really get it mm-hmm. because we're waiting on one part. And that's kind of been the theme knock on wood, that that we've dealt with, it's been one or two parts that does not allow us to complete a machine. And then we have to wait a little bit. So then we have shipments that kind of just go out in big chunks. And uh, But we've been able to supply generally by season. That's our goal. And when we take orders uh, in the early part of the year, or the very late, we actually do it in the late summer, um, we do everything we can to get those orders fulfilled before season gets there. And that's going to get a little bit spread out. You know, I think we were able to get it awfully close to that still to today. So So help me understand that delivery by season concept. So when we basically will go through and take orders for next hay season's needs from each dealer, generally it'll be August and September. So the previous season's basically wrapping up, Mm -hmm. depending on where you're at. Yep. And that allows us to get our demand put in place so we can start procuring, you know, how many gearboxes do we need, how many drivelines, all that type of stuff. That gets our book of business basically set. And then we can set our labor pool um, to try to get all that stuff done by, let's say, June, May or June. All the wheels get kind of put in motion then. So now we've got into some of these supply chain disruptions. How did Vermeer pivot? And what hay and forage lines do you prioritize? This kind of gets to that seasonal planning thing, right? Yeah. There's a lot that goes into this. And the first thing I'll do is tip my hat to our supply chain specialists. We got a lot of them. The people that, you know, buy all of the components and then they have multiple suppliers. And these people are working overtime to just try to get product to us. As far as a massive pivot, we really haven't done that. What we have been doing is to really help our suppliers when they're in trouble. In other words, when I say in trouble, they can't get us apart for, say, a month. And we're like, yeah, that's not going to work. When we go back and get to more detailed conversations, they may be missing one piece, one part, one component to finish our part that we need. 
if that makes any sense. And what we yeah. will do is if we have relationships with other suppliers, we will actually go look for that part piece for them or with them. And a lot of times we've been able to help find the last component to finish that particular piece, which we don't normally do. That's not a normal course of business, but right. we need this these products this bad. So they've kind of been going almost the extra mile. There's a few times where you have to do a bit of a variance, as they would call it. So instead of one switch, you would use a different switch that gets the job done, Yeah. but it wasn't the original switch that you chose. And there's been a lot of that that's gone on. Fortunately, we've really not had to like shut down one line and let another line run. Um, we've had to slow down a line waiting on product to get there. You know, if you're building 10 a day, then maybe we're all, we're just going to go down to six a day. So we've done a whole lot of that. And then it ramps back up when the supply, when the supply gets there. Um, so that's not normal manufacturing behavior by any means. We've had to do a lot of toggling back and forth. We make those decisions. A, it's like, well, what can we build? You know, what do we have the parts to actually build? That, that makes a lot of sense. So that's just kind of common sense. And then if we have to go and make a decision between one line or the other line, we have a lot of data that we can consult. We can look at retail run rates, like how hard are those selling right now or what's the retail volume of those. And then we can go and look at field inventory, too, and say to ourselves, how well are we positioned in, in field inventory? And then we'll make a decision based off of that. So if I got a lot of product that's still in the field and can be consumed, and versus another one that doesn't have as much, and let's just make believe they have the same run rates. That one that has more field inventory is going to pause a little bit while the other one catches up if we have that luxury to make that decision. So that's generally how we'll do that. Where you have buffers, you're taking advantage of them. Yeah, and we do it pretty often. We've not, like I said before, we've not had a complete, like, we can't build anything for a month. We've not had that. And we're really fortunate from that standpoint. We've had to have slow things down and we'll just make that decision. The other thing that a lot of people don't necessarily understand is, you know, the labor component too. There's a lot of folks that I talk with that are, you know, considered competitors of ours or we're in the same business. It's just as difficult to get people to get to work as it is to get components. And I think that's a piece of this as well. And and I don't think it's just, quote unquote, the health concerns, you know, mm -hmm. right now. And that's some things that everybody's fighting. Um, I'm not sure what the answer is to that, but there is a labor component to this as well that everybody has to deal with. And I think that's also affecting a lot of the parts availability, the transportation, all of that is also there's a lot of people as part of this. Mm -hmm. So we're just trying to work our way through that and understand that as best we possibly can. So. Understanding all of those challenges, what's your outlook for the first half of 22 getting started into the new season in terms of parts availability, equipment availability? What does that look like for the producer? I think it's going to be it's going to be a little bit more bare shelf than what you saw last year. And I'm pro I can't speak for the industry, as you had, as you've said, but I travel a lot and yep. you can just see it. You can see in the vehicle sector and, and some other places too, 100%. You just get tractors to try to buy a truck or anything like that. It's really, really difficult. And I think for until we get to summer and springtime, I don't see it letting up at all. The parts thing, 
you know, we do it. I'm pretty sure our competitors would do it. We, you know, we certainly try to prioritize parts so people have those for the for the season for sure. If we cut the steel and build it ourselves, we're pretty confident that we'll be able to do that. That's strictly a labor and scheduling component. Mm-hmm. If it's uh, bought in things that we stock from, you know, some of our, you know, some of our suppliers, you know, those two can be a little bit close. We just got to be, we got to pay attention to that and. It's for for anybody that doesn't think there's going to be a shortage of something this spring or summer, really haven't been paying attention. (laughs) That's hard to say. Right. You have control over the things that you're building. You don't Mm -hmm. necessarily have control over all of the inputs to those things, and that can create a problem. You're focusing on parts to make sure that the equipment that's already out in the field continues to run. You're looking at your dealer inventory. And you understand what your dealer inventory is. Is there anything that the producer can do ahead of time? And I, I'm asking, and this is a little bit of a leading question on my operation. No. I've identified some common things that go out. I run a, a rotary yep. swather. I know that I better have those turtle bearings. And I better have them ahead of time. Maybe if I call up the dealer today, they might have one or two on the shelf. But if I want five or six of them, it might be a couple of weeks. Take me through that. What can the producer do? Yeah, I think you're spot on. I would do what you did. And then I would also encourage people, if their dealer has these programs, to just get your equipment in to get checked up on now before you go to the field and just get disappointed. I can't tell you how many dealerships I've been to where someone will walk in. It's usually like March or April and say, hey, can I bring my baler in? Because when I put it away last fall, it was making a noise, but I don't really remember what it was. Oh. Well, that person's going to be in a lot of trouble this year if that was a bearing going out or you knocked a roller out or whatever. Right. If you can get it to your dealer to have them just to do a, a preseason or postseason, whichever direction you want to come from, inspection, yep. I would certainly do that. Wear items that you know, just like what you talked about, bearings, mm-hmm. whether it's pickup, pickup teeth, bearings, anything of that you know those are the big things that you that we trade in for sure i would probably try to have a little more than what you would normally carry if you can do it at Mm -hmm. least get on the books Mm -hmm. on the books to get it for sure there's another challenge in this though as we look at the whole picture fertilizer prices are higher fuel prices are higher what advice do you have to a producer that's looking to balance the equipment maintenance versus the out uh I don't think it's unreasonable to say outrageous fertilizer prices when, oh, for sure. when they've doubled yeah. year over year. You know, everybody's got to evaluate their own financial situation and basically what's the shape of their equipment in. And you know what you have to be able to, you know, to harvest that year, right? So, and can your equipment do it or not? And that's a, that's a choice the producer, maybe with the help of a trusted advisor as a dealer or somebody like that, mm-hmm. if they trust them you know, to help them make that decision, uh, odds are there, you know, from a shortage perspective, there's some people who are just going to have to make things last. And also the economic side of things too. If you're like you talked about, if fertilizer is whatever it is, 600 bucks a ton or, or even more, <laughs> yeah, um, you, you have a decision to make. And I've heard a lot of people talk about that. Well, I, I was going to buy X, Y, and Z, but I had to buy fertilizer instead. And I've also heard people say, I'm going to use my fertilizer at half rate than I normally would. Yeah. Like that's interesting. So I'm, yeah. I'm not sure how that works. You got to get a little lucky on the rain and whatnot, I think for, for that to play out in your favor. But right. 
So, you know, they, you just got to do a cost benefit analysis, quite frankly, if you're a producer, you know, I got X amount that I could spend and I'm going to do it on maintenance repair because it, it's no secret. Generally, the the older your equipment gets, the more likely a breakdowns are going to be and yep. then the, the more likely bigger breakdowns will occur further down the road that you have. Or, you know, if it's a five, it's a 10 year old piece of machinery. It's just, you're going to have bigger failures at some point in time, unless you get really, really lucky. The supply shortages aren't going to be limited to, to 40 twenties and, and three twenty new Holland Baylor's, right? We're, we're, no. we're talking about if you have a gearbox go out on a new Baylor, yep. you might be yep. in trouble. And that's an interesting thing too. I can tell you what our suppliers have told us and they started telling us this probably uh, probably six months ago, because I'm way more into the production side of things that I care to be mm-hmm. by just the nature of what's going on. I've had to basically bury my head in it to understand what's going on. But a lot of our suppliers, whether it be gearboxes, drive lines, um, those are the big ones. Those are always the big long lead times. Those those lead times have almost doubled. So, and that's why we we generally run a 24 month forecast at any given time. So our suppliers have those, so they can mm-hmm. they can basically figure out what they need to build over the course of time. But as an example, if you used to have a six month lead time on a gearbox uh, six months ago, today it's a year, and things that used to be a year now are getting. I've seen some go out as far as 420 days. So some of that, I think, is a little bit of a defense mechanism from those producers of those products, for sure, because they're getting beat on daily. They're setting low expectations, so when they get that product to so. you in nine months, you're actually going to be happy about it. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of that, but you can expect, now you can start to say, well, I can only build at this rate because this is all I'm going to get in this time frame. And that's why you're starting to hear people say, I can take no more orders this year. The next time you're going to get something from us is 2023. I've heard that from other OEMs, and which is interesting. It's probably works backwards from those promise dates being moved out so far. It's really the case when a market moves and a market accelerates. There's no secret the market was absolutely astounding last year. Um, you know, if, if you... If you didn't know any better, you're like, why would that happen? Why would the market be up so much? Well, it's fairly simple when you look at the economic data, which I know you have a really good economic background. You go as a as a country and put four or five trillion dollars into the economy. Yeah. That's going to squirt out somewhere. <laughs> and people end up wanting to buy things and they're getting money, found money, as we would call it. I like to think of it as economic lubrication. It is until it quits. Right. And it's like hopping off the interstate at 80 miles an hour into a 35 mile an hour zone is what it's going to feel like Mm -hmm. when it stops. Mm -hmm. But that's a whole, that's a whole nother story. But you, so you have this crazy increased demand that would be hard to do in a perfect year, but that's sitting on top of people that are very limited on in the supply chain. And so that's why you get people saying, I can only build so much. I cannot capture this excess demand. And if you want whatever it is, now you're a year out. Mm-hmm. Never heard that in my 20 years of, of doing this. That has never been an issue outside of some just catastrophic failure somewhere. That's uh, a crazy thing. Not to mention, you know, we haven't even talked about 
you know, the price of some of these components, Oh, <laughs> the, 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 pri- the prices. And if you're relying on things that are built overseas, which just about every one of us are to some degree, yep. the freight cost alone is tripled. You know, things come over here basically on container ships and we've all seen the news on container ships stacking up in ports and yep. that's problematic. That's expensive because now those ships can't turn. You know, if they turn those ships every I don't know what they would be, 45, 50 days. Now it's maybe double that. And so what's happened is if if you get a normal sea freight container at a 40-foot high cube going to like to Europe, those used to be $4,000 a day in and day out. You just chocker block and full of whatever you got. Just yep. put as much as you can in them. Yep. And today those are $12,000, $15,000. Same one, same boat. That's where some of this pricing increase has come from. It's just strictly the freight, which, you know, we can argue about how that occurred. I think some of it's fairly obvious, but um, it's just it's just a lot of stuff piling up all at the same time. So you have product shortages and then you have this rampant inflation and all these components. It's it's an interesting time for sure. So not to mention steel prices. Right. Basically, well, they tripled over the last uh, over the last year. Across the board, everything. Yeah, so I, I think you're to give some people some hope. That's that's a commodity and it's temporary. Yeah, and there's some there's some things that have gone on. I think in the industry, and I'm not a steel industry expert by any means, but not as many furnaces were running. It goes back to what we talked about initially, where a lot of people did slow down. Yep, and maybe knock some furnaces offline or whatever. And now when things started to heat up, they don't have the capacity. And when you got a commodity, it's a supply and demand equation and away you go Mm -hmm. and and that's finally started to abate a little bit you're starting to see steel prices you know it's it's certainly peaked and Mm -hmm. it's starting to come back down but they they never go down quite as fast as they go up i learned something the other day i hadn't quite put it in this context but equipment that takes a lot of steel to build those prices went up faster than something that's more electronics or more lighter lighter built right so just if we're talking about Something that weighs twenty thousand pounds versus something heavy tillage equipment is a really good example of that. You yeah. saw some of those going up a lot and mm-hmm. multiple times. There were some tough times there where every time you turned around depends on how you buy your steel as well as a manufacturer. If you do contracts or buy in a spot market, and I'm sure people do a little bit of both depending on their size. But if you're in the spot market, every time you turned around, the stuff was ten cents higher a pound, twenty cents higher a pound than what you did last time, and that's why you hear. Every, you know, people aren't even pricing equipment. They're like, call us and we'll see what the price is for that day. Right. We haven't done that, thankfully, but um, it was going up that hard and that fast, you know, for for a period of time. It was right. it was hard to get your head around and really knew what you had. Thankfully, that has kind of slowed down. And now we're just into regular good old product shortage that everybody's experiencing right now. Are there any silver linings to these rain clouds? This hasn't been overly optimistic <laughs> here. Is there anything yeah, yeah. that Vermeer is going to change going forward? Are there any structural changes to the industry that's that's here to stay? You know, I, I don't know. There, there's other people that would make those decisions. I think what this has done, and this would be with every manufacturer, I would I would imagine this has pressure tested the entire system. If you yeah. know what I mean. Yep. And, and when you pressure test something, you see where the leaks are at. You see where you're vulnerable at. You know, now you're kind of in a bit of a let's just get this stuff done and let's find the products to build these 
and get that done, you don't have any room to breathe to really do any massive fixing of, of anything that's broke unless it's like right in your face. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, you know, what you, what you can do, you can look at the suppliers that worked with you and that performed well and, you know, you reward them with continued businesses. And we've had some suppliers that just collapsed, weren't able to, to do anything hmm. for various reasons or are horrible communicators or whatever the case might be. But you get a chance, you know, when you're in a really tough scenario, you get a chance to see what everybody's really made of, how do they operate under under pressure. And that's kind of what we've seen. It goes all the way through manufacturing, too. And down to the producer, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, but here's one thing that producers, not to pat Vermeer too much on on the back, but when we stop and look at 2021, we produced about 20, 25% more equipment than we did the previous year. Wow. On a on a unit basis, so we were able to supply the market what it had. Luckily, because we did not shut down, we didn't slow down at all. We just kept going, mm-hmm. and it wasn't easy, but we just we kept going. That's the bright side. Even though the the market wanted thirty or forty percent increase, that's what the appetite was. We at least were able to get twenty five, twenty or twenty five percent to the marketplace. It could have been a lot worse quite frankly, and we did the best we can. I'm pretty sure all of the people in this industry are doing the best that we can. Yeah. And um, it's just it's just one of those weird things where everything wadded up on top of each other. And at one time, demand and the inability to produce that demand, and that's going to end. Um, my guess is by the, by the end of this uh, year, you know, when we're talking like in December, I think everything will be a little bit more probably a little bit more normalized would be mm-hmm. my guess because a lot of that excess money that was in the system is pretty much working its way through the system. And then we get back to a little bit of a normalized look at things a little bit more, uh, you know, if I could use the term a little more sober look at things where right. people aren't getting these checks that are just like, Holy smokes, where'd this come from? I don't know, but I'm going to spend it. Right. You know, it's that, <laughs> that type of environment. I think that's certainly winding down. The, the supply thing will take care of itself over a period of time. So, Are we looking for some normalcy in 2023? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think you may even start to see it towards the end of this year. Mm-hmm. And that's strictly a guess. You know, this thing only has so much energy in it, mm-hmm. this, latest, this latest uptick. Now, the other side of that, there's a lot of federal money that was, you know, we're, as we were talking about, that we're working through. You know, people want to upgrade equipment and facilities and so on and so forth. And by all means, that makes a ton of sense. Now, the other side of that is we're having, you know, we're seeing record commodity prices, too. We're close to record commodity prices. Corn, beans, wheat. You know, you're in wheat country. I'm not, you know, wheat, again, is going to be really good, I think. I always tell people with a caveat is it also is probably taken... I don't know the percentage. You would know it better than I would, but probably twice as much to put out a crop as it this year than maybe last year. <laughs> twice <laughs> maybe twice maybe uh, maybe much, but yeah. all of that really the you know the six dollar corn, the thirteen fourteen dollar beans, eight dollar wheat. Well, it's all relative depending on your inputs, and the, the producers that listen to this certainly know that. So right. I always tell people be cautious of just looking at one set of the one set of numbers. So. I think the input costs that are like nuts right now, even though you're really going to have a good, uh, and even the cattle market too, which we pay really close attention to, that market's on a nice uptick right now, but we have all the same inputs that anybody else has. So that's, it's, it's relative. 
I guess, just almost with some more zeros on it. Right. So be so. So I think all of that's going to kind of catch a little bit, and then we'll be into this. We'll be in a little bit more of a normal, realistic pattern here towards the end of this year and the first part of twenty three. And that's I'm not an economist by any means. It's just it's just you know being around this long enough. These big upturns do not last that long. They right. just don't. Two years max. Yep. And uh, no matter where the money comes from, it's kind of like it's like you go to the all you eat buffet. Sooner or later, you got to sit down. <laughs> right. You just and I think right. that's kind of where where we're at with some of this. So. My takeaways from this, get your equipment in shape now. Don't don't yep. wait. Maybe build up some inventory of wear parts at the farm level, right? Absolutely, yeah. If I lose this gearbox, what's my plan? Is that having an extra baler sitting out in the weeds that I'm glad I didn't sell? Or is that having an extra beer with my equipment guy to make sure that he takes my there call when I need it, right? All, yeah, all of those things are an option. I'd say most importantly, plan ahead, right? Yeah, hundred percent of any year to do it. This is that year. Yeah, you know things that things that can wear or will wear, and I at least have one or two of those around. Just kind of do a quick inventory and go to your dealer and try to procure those parts. Understand that the dealer's doing the best they possibly can. We our dealers spend a lot of time, and we spend a lot of time with them to make sure that they have the right parts. Understand they can only do so much, and everybody's asking for the same stuff. So they may not have exactly what you need the moment you need it. So pack your patience just a tick if you can, which that would be, that would be good. And that most of the dealers, at least the ones that we work with will do everything they can to get somebody running or keep them running. You know, we've had people like go take that baiter and run. We'll fix yours overnight. Just go take that one and go get your field done or take that mower. And not, I'm not saying that every dealer will do that, but we have a history of a lot of dealers that, will go to that extreme to keep their customers running because making hay, particularly in some areas, like you, it's a short-term process. You don't have a big window. You can't wait until next week sometimes. Well, I'll tell you, my, my hay season's 21 days. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to get better. It generally does. And this is just a really weird time with all this stuff is just stacked up. And uh, we just have to deal with it and walk through it. It's a daily event. Just walk through it and be confident. It'll, it'll be all right. Thank you again, Brett. This has been a great conversation and very informative. I've learned a lot. So thank you again. Awesome. Thanks, John. Appreciate it.